a lot of what we call falling off. Um, and I don't know what's going on in everyone's heart right now, but before we get into the message, I wanted to know if there was anybody who is going through a very intense period in their life right now. If there's anyone here, we don't know the, the details. We're not, um, we are not set up right now to handle uh, an overload of particulars, but right now I'm sure if this is reflective of what I've been running into uh, among believers across the board, um, there may be some things that you all are going through right now uh, that you would love it if we beseech the God of heaven who knows the particulars uh, together. And, um, and the only reason why I say that is because every time I turn around, I'm talking to somebody who it's too late. Um, it's fifth quarter, and they're just now letting people know um, this has happened and this was going on, and now we're praying, but behind the eight ball. So right now, if there's anyone... Uh, who, you know, like I said, we're not going to flood this altar, but if you are going through something of extreme pain, uh, maybe no one knows or just none of us know, or maybe we do know, and right now you want uh, to join in prayer with that thing, that particular thing, I'm just going to ask that you stand. Um, It may be all of us standing because all of us have something. I don't mean like just generic stuff that you're I mean the stuff that you would love to cry out. If there's anybody going through anything, anybody uh, under any kind of unique pressures or pains that you want God to move on your behalf, I'm just going to ask that you stand Uh, This could be issues of uh, employment. This could be issues of marriage. This could be issues of finances. This could be anything. Uh, We're going to cry out to God. um, And, again, I know sometimes you can feel like I'm supposed to stand because then it looks like I don't have any prayer needs. No, you don't have to feel like you have to stand. But for some people, it's intense right now. Um, And uh, we just want to, before we get into uh, the message, just beseech God. And, and, and I'm standing because I'm, I continue to be made aware of pain um, that causes you to say, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Um, uh, all right. And this is, again, we're going to go before God who knows the details. We're going to speak well of him and we're going to ask him to move mightily uh, through our midst, uh, doing what he will in our lives, knowing that whoever trusts in the Lord will never be disappointed. All right. All right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Our great God and our father, we come to you with the utmost of seriousness Because we're not up just generically communicating with you. We're up beseeching you with supplication, Lord. Right now we're mindful of Hannah, the mother of Samuel, who was praying so feverishly and so fervently that the priest thought she was drunk. She said, no, I'm not drunk. It's just that my soul is heavy laden. She wanted you Our Father who art in heaven, uh, she wanted you to move on her behalf. And God, that's what we feel right now in this church on this Sunday. 
It's so easy, Lord, to want to get church over with and get on to what we really enjoy, get back to who we really like, and really not take advantage of the assembly, Lord. This is your idea that people from all over, all walks of life would rally together, not based on anything other than their koinonia, their fellowship, their oneness, their common bond around spiritual realities that A, the Lord is God, B, he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Lord God, you said by faith people obtained what they were hoping for. Lord, and you qualify what we're hoping for by demanding that what we're hoping for be connected to what you're doing. Oh, Father, you told us through James that most of us don't even ask, and that's why we don't have it. But then for those of us that ask, sometimes we ask with impure motives. <laughs> and then others ask, and they have the right motives, but they don't even believe that you're going to do it. They Can the Lord prepare a table in the wilderness? And you said, let that person not think they're going to get anything. You can you communicated through the Lord Jesus that uh, that we ought to ask and keep asking that we ought to knock and keep knocking that we ought to seek and we would find Lord God. All of this is in connection with people who know you, for we know through the blind man, uh, he affirmed uh, with the scriptures that you don't listen to people that are not in connection with you unless they're coming to you saying, I'm sorry, forgive me, take me to be your own, dispense on me the gift of forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So, Lord God, we come, first of all, qualified to come to the throne of grace. You look at your children and say, come to the throne of grace. You said we could find mercy. You said we could find help. And you said we can find that in a time of need. Everyone who's standing right now is by standing indicating I'm in a time of need and distinguished from others who feel their need, but it's not intense enough to draw attention to it. These are they who feel like I don't even mind drawing attention to the severity of my situation. Lord God, unlike the, the bugged out preachers out there who love to prey on the emotional state of people, giving them promises that don't originate from the scriptures, distorting promises that do originate from scriptures, praying on them and their, their time, Lord God, no, none of that is taking place here today, God. We are just convinced that prayer works. We are just convinced that prayer has been uh, prescribed for us, not just described. It's prescribed. You told us that we ought to pray and not faint. And so, Father, right now I can tell for someone it's about employment. Father, I've been praying about this because every time I turn around, somebody's struggling with this economy. So many who played their cards differently as, the, as a child because they really didn't take the future as seriously as they do ever since they started living in accordance with your truth. Now all of a sudden they're reaping the consequences of years probably mismanaged and yet you're the God not just of a second chance but another chance. And so, God, we know that you can restore the years that the locusts have eaten, which is just a way of saying that it's never over as long as you're in the picture. 
And so, Father, regardless of why people are struggling with the employment, we're beseeching you, the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the God who controls the winds and the waves, Lord God. You appoint animals and they listen. You appoint storms and they listen, Lord. You say, peace be still, and storms have to subside instantly, not come to a gradual halt. Lord God, at any moment, you can command fish to jump in the net. You can have uh, the, the, the drachma or the money that we need in the fish's mouth. These were written for us so that we would trust in the God who makes these things happen. So, Father, here we are crying out to you, not rushing through a service, keeping the order neat and intact, but meeting us where we are by crying out to you, the God who hears. Father God, for somebody, it's about relationships. Lord God, painful relationships, causing drama, thorns, aggravation, frustration, hurt, pain. Father, your grand scheme, according to Ephesians, was to remove walls of hostility. First from Jew and Gentile, after from God to man. We have peace with God and therefore peace with each other. And the whole point is you're making one new man, neither Jew nor Gentile, none of the walls of division in this one new man. We thank you and we pray by application that you would heal and you would reconcile us. For you sent us to be messengers of a message of reconciliation. That you're reconciling stuff you had beef with. You even told us that we can't take communion, that we shouldn't take communion at the Lord's Supper if we've got beef. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, would you heal? For we've tried our best. And where we haven't, we pray that you would empower us, Holy Spirit, to act in accordance with your truth. For somebody, it's marriage, the most sacred relationship of all, because it illustrates Christ in the church. And so many, Lord God, are in uh, marital strains and stresses. And, Father, it's causing not only humiliation and embarrassment, since that's taboo in the Christian community, uh, and it is a, a poor reflection of why you put man and woman together. And so people are feeling it. And everyone knows that we all have, uh, we play a part in our marital turmoils, Lord God. No one is totally right. No one is totally wrong, Lord God. But at the end of the day, we're crying out to you, the God who cares about marriage and how it, uh, it, it illustrates Christ in the church. We're asking for you to empower men to act like Christ in the scenario. We're asking you to grace women to have a like the church in the scenario. Lord God, we are praying for harmony, for miracles, for uh, restoration, for strength and unity in the home because Satan is having a field day in the home. Lord God, for the sake of putting the muzzle on him, for the sake of keeping him at bay, at least for your people, at least like you did in the land of Goshen, Lord God, where you distinguish dealing with everybody else from how you deal with your people. Bring healing in our community so that we'll be a light and they won't look at us and say, you're just like me. What do you have that's different than me? Father God, for some of us, it's just we don't know what to do right now. These are bug times, purpose. Feeling a sense of no purpose or not understanding our purpose or, Lord God, we need help with purpose. The thing that makes you happy to get up each morning. 
The thing that determines how you use your summers. The thing that determines what kind of car you should buy, where you should live. Purpose. And when there is no purpose, it's whatever. And sooner or later, the the futility of living like it's whatever takes its toll on us because we weren't called into nothingness. We were called into something. We were called from idols to God. We were called from the world to the people of God. We were called from just doing whatever in idleness to working with our hands to have stuff to share. God, we're asking if you would heal. Some people in here may struggle because their relationship with you has been fast foodie. And expecting to be nourished and not knowing why there's an emptiness, but it's because of the fast-paced life, the drive-through culture that we live in, where even now you are no longer a buffet, that we sit down and dine in, that we go back for more at, but you're a drive-through. We order a quick number. We don't finish all the food. We toss you out, and then we run on that strength, which is really not strength. Father God, if it takes, would you lure us back into intimacy with you? You said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, and it was in the context of believers, hear my voice, open the door, I'll come in. I'll sup with them. And in that culture, Lord God, you reclined, Lord Jesus, and you just chilled. Father God, that's what we need. We're feeling the effects of growing up with no fathers. We're feeling the effects of growing up in broken homes. We're feeling the repercussions, Lord God, of poor shepherding in the past. God, all of these things we cry out explicitly. And if there's anyone in here who's having physical ailments, things that at any moment you could speak to and heal, at any moment you could remove, would you give them a, a mind to bear up until you see fit to remove it in this life or the life to come? The day of redemption or in this day and age? We ask this, Lord God. And then souls. We, we conclude by asking for souls. People who don't know you from a can of paint. Who come in here and wonder what all the fuss is. Who look at the redundance of the songs and say, oh, brother, who find their way in our midst because you're still at work, even in the world, to bring them to a point where they will have no excuse, but who never, ever, ever have you penetrate their hearts. We are praying today, Lord God, that you would penetrate a heart, that you would save mightily, and that new birth would exhilarate our community as we see people who go from hostile to God to loving the Lord Jesus, embracing him and walking in his ways. That would encourage all of us, Lord, so that in spite of our own distress, like Paul said to the Thessalonians, now we live in our distress because you stand firm. As people remain, stand firm and grow, even in all of our pain, we would rejoice because it just feels good and it's, it's, it's encouraging to see you still at work. John the Baptist was frustrated, but Jesus, you reminded him, Lord Jesus, but I'm still at work. Even though your scenario is ugly, and even that is under my watch, for I, we're praying all of this. 
and all the things that have not been mentioned, the particulars. We're praying it because if you don't intervene, well, then it's a wrap. We have to conjure something. We have to cheat. We're going to have to connive. We're going to have to compromise. Or somebody who works for the opposite team is going to come and give us a bright idea to make matters better. And we're going to take the, 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 the suggestions of Satan to ease our own pressure and not wait on you. God, would you intervene and dispense more grace Oh, for grace to trust you more. Oh, for grace to trust you more. May we have grace to trust you more, especially where we can't trace you. Blind us from uh, TV preachers that lie and make us feel like we're missing out on something. Keep us on our knees, but deliver God. It's like you. It's like you to deliver. It's like you eventually to come through. It's like you to sustain. No one ever says, dag, and I thought. Even the cats on the road to Emmaus said, we thought. And the, you, Lord Jesus, said, how foolish and slow, uh, slow to believe. Didn't you know that this is a prerequisite to the reigning, the ruling, the glory, the crown? And so, God, as we get into the scriptures, may it rock people that you've already spoken in regards to these things. And you've given us the paraclete, the one who has been dispatched to come in us and come alongside of us to help us to faithfully continue in spite of the drama. We pray these things because you're our God you're not a man that you should lie. You're not an idol, so you don't need us to hook you up, prop you up, decorate you. You are the living God. It's you that made us, not we ourselves. And for those of us that are in Jesus, we are the sheep of your pasture. You care for the sheep. David cared for his sheep, and he's, he's a sinner. You're the good shepherd, Lord Jesus. You lay your life down for us. Encourage your people with these sentiments and these requests to heaven. Let us know you here in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 I really felt, again, all week, if I had, if I had time, it has been real. And um, I just want you all to know. That um, we're not playing church here. We mean business. And um, there's so many counterfeits out there. And, um, and yet, the reality here is that the Lord Jesus Christ dispenses grace and the Spirit of God has been sent to help us. So, um, we're going to continue in our series called Jesus Christ Unplugged.
For the last nine months, we've been um, focusing on Jesus Christ in a series called Jesus Christ Unplugged. Um, As a church plant, um, we felt the way to build on a solid foundation would be to make sure that we become characterized and we become known for what's at the core of who we are, and that is an affection for Jesus Christ. Uh, We chose out of the four books that are called the gospel according to one of Jesus's followers, uh, we chose John because John's whole purpose is that you may come to believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. That meant the God, the son, and that by believing you may have life in his name. People walk the earth and they're physically alive, but until Jesus Christ grabs a hold of you, you're just walking dead. And so John says, man, I want to talk to you and present to you the facet of Jesus that if you put all this together and get rocked and he, you say, man, now based on all that you said, I want to trust in him. And John says, then my job is successful because I'm going to pick and choose what I say about Jesus out of the the inexhaustible material. I'm going to pick and choose the stuff that's geared to paint the picture of him as God who touched down. And so we've been there for nine months and it's been interesting uh, as that's not normal. And especially you wouldn't think for a church that has a youth orientation Uh, A church that is so full of young people that, quote unquote, would love to see God expand our numbers. You know, this snail's pace in one book is not popular. It doesn't go on uh, every day. But um, we keep finding that the book of John basically takes us over the breath of what God's been saying throughout the scriptures. Uh, The greatest commentary John started, the greatest commentary is that God... (laughs) was in the beginning and Jesus was with him, that Jesus was God and that he came down. The greatest commentary is that God would humble himself and come and live on earth. No other religion preaches that. No other religion says as at its core, at its foundation, whoever made all this, shrunk himself into a human frame, went through the normal process of the people that he made and grew up and lived out what it meant to be who he made us to be. He lived it out for us. Nobody else says that. So John starts off by letting you know, I'm going to talk about Jesus on earth, but let me know, let you know, he didn't start there. He was always in the beginning with God. He is God. And it's the greatest commentary. The saddest commentary is also found. Uh, when uh, the Bible says in John, the world was made through him. That means he's your creator. Whether you believe it or not, Jesus Christ is your creator. And yet he came to his own. He always had a people that he was going to work things out through so that they could be a witness to everybody else. And the Bible says he came to his own and his own received them not. Saddest commentary. You know, one of the, one of the rappers uh, has a song called Minority Report, right? 
And he was talking about Katrina. And one of his indictments was the president who he said jet the jet his jet. The president's jet blew by the spot. And he was like almost like salty that, man, he had a couple extra seats in his jet. If only he would have like sort of swooped down and said, I know I'm the president, but let me try to find out if I could snatch a couple people. Like he wanted the president to basically don't just fly by in your in your Air Force One, but come down and rescue the Lord Jesus is saying my sentiments exactly imagine a God who just swoops by sees sinners drowning in sin never condescends and scoops anybody up Jesus says you can't you rappers y'all won't be able to say that that's true about me I didn't just swoop down and grab a few people and keep stepping I told them parachute me in and I dwelt for a while among you. That would have been even better. Leave me down here for three days with y'all. The president? That would be bananas. But what's, worse, what's, what's even more bananas is God. See, people don't really believe Jesus is God. That's why we're not amazed anymore at all this talk about him becoming flesh. He's still just another dude in the past. But John starts it off and says, well, you're not going to appreciate or understand this book until you understand he's God. And he did the bugdest thing anybody would do, and that is he got dropped down in the middle of mess. Let the mess touch him. This isn't like I stayed away from the mess. I let the mess touch me. In fact, made sure people got out while I stayed in. He came to his own, and his own received them not, though the world was made through him. The good news is yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. I've been in church for so long that I'm always trying to figure out how can I make people get it? Now, I know I'm not humanly. It's not humanly possible for me to make you get it. But I'm always thinking, where do I need to start? Because. I want you to be able to catch the significance and not just be like another preacher rattling off stuff. I don't have all of the theatrics that make preaching register as preaching. Like, oh, didn't he preach? A lot of times it doesn't matter what you say. It's how you say it. I'm like, I don't have all the stuff that make you say, didn't he preach? So I just got to convey info. But I want the info to, like, hit you like the whatever people say when they say it right. Because they go off when people say it. Jack and Jill went up a hill. Ah! And I come up, Jesus Christ was God and became man and dropped down. Cricket, cricket. Right? But what I said was Bible. When he said... The Bible is written to people who believe. So it's like, but believe what? Now, if you were reading John where John comes to play, you have been informed that there is a God and that God promised he'd send a son. Now, this is like, that's because I see a couple of people I've never seen before. So I'm just going to act like you don't know anything. But just know this. What I'm about to get into today is really out there. If you don't believe in this, God 
who nobody has ever seen, sent the son so that people could lay eyes on God in action. Now we get to this son named Jesus who starts not only saying, yo, I was sent, but I want to tell you about one who is going to be sent after me. We're going to get into somebody called the spirit. Sound crazy. Cults and other religions clown Christians for believing in a spook. They'll say, oh, you believe in a spook God, a spook God, which is a God you can't see or the God, what the Bible calls God the spirit. They say no such thing. That the one who was coming after Jesus was another prophet. Well, today we're going to preach Jesus Christ from the scriptures and we're going to talk to you about one called the spirit. If you weren't here, you missed that Jesus has been showing off on earth, proving that he's better than everything men had put their trust, women had put their trust in. He had been finally rejected, and now he's on his way. One of his own betrayed him. He's about to go to the cross and be beat down like you may have seen in the Passion, but worse, and he will die. His disciples got sad about it, so he took them out to dinner. They're in what we call an upper room. It's like if you get a VIP booth in a restaurant, just that little side room that costs extra. So Jesus is in the side room that costs extra, called the upper room. He's in there with just his people. And he's looking at them. And in chapter 14, verse 15 to 31, that's what we talked about last time. You don't have to turn there. Jesus Christ presented His solution to their sadness that he was going away. Now, whenever we study what we study, we study it in context. I'm not giving to give you everything there is about the spirit. I'm going to give you the spirit as he's explained in this context. This is for all the people who I don't recognize as haven't been here before. In chapter 14, which is part of this same night out at dinner. Jesus says, Dag, I see that you're sad. You want me. You like me, don't you? If you love me, you keep my commandments. And the assumption was that the disciples truly loved them. But Jesus is just setting the record straight. Because a lot of people are going to say, I love Jesus, but not want to obey anything that he says. Jesus says, well, I'm just going to let you know. The way you prove love is to obey me. He says, but for all those who love me and who've gotten hooked on me, because I'm getting ready to bounce, don't worry. I'm going to send someone who is just like me. He's called the paraclete. We saw this. The paraclete he called the spirit of truth. God's spirit is so true and so about truth that he's connected to Jesus Christ who said, I'm truth. I know this is deep, but this is why you ain't going to appreciate this week if you don't understand this. Jesus comes and says, so listen, first let me present to you 
why you ought to like this one. He's a gift. He says, if you love me, I'll pray and have God send not a cheap substitute, someone like me. The gift. Jesus Christ says, I'm going to send you a gift. He's the gift of the spirit. Call him the paraclete because he comes alongside. The word paraclete means someone who comes alongside to aid you to be faithful in something. He says, listen, he's a gift for those who love me. You ain't going to like this gift unless you love me. Just like you wouldn't like a picture of me for Christmas if you don't like me. So I sent you a picture, man. You get it? Eight by ten. You're like, yeah, I threw it in the trash because I don't even like you. <laughs> Jesus is like, yo, I'm going to send basically someone who's exactly like me. And you're not going to like him if you don't like me. He's a gift for those who want to see Christ. People who are like, man, manifest yourself. Don't just give me your religion, your teachings. I don't want to just deal with scripts and papers. I want to deal with the person. He says, so I'm going to give you the paraclete. For those who want to fellowship. Liken unto Exodus 33 where Moses says, yo, I don't want just an escort with you hanging behind. I want you. He's a gift to those who would rest in him. He talks about, yo, if anybody wants peace, I got peace and you'll find rest in me. Those who would learn of him. He says, and this spirit is going to teach you about me because you still don't know all there is to know about me. That was last time. Today we're talking about getting to know the spirit and the difference about that. That one was presented for people who just needed to know they're not going to be left alone. Now, this week, he comes back to talking about that same paraclete in a way that says, now get to know the one that you now are excited is going to come. All right. So the spirit getting to know him, the spirit getting to know him. Turn to chapter 16. Turn to chapter 16. It's good. Chapter 16. First of all, this is going to give us insight into who the spirit is. It's going to talk about what he does, but everything that he does, he does just because that's who he is. And so we're going to see that he's an unstoppable witness. And I'm going to break these things down from the text. He's an inexpendable resource. He's an irrefutable convictor. He's a guide into inexhaustible truth, and he's an exalter of Christ. And you'll see how the beauty of these terms, I wish they like, they all had the same letter or something to, you know, keep it all crisp so you remember it. But I tried and it didn't work. All right, who's with me? Because y'all a little quiet. All right, I know it's a little hot and we just prayed and it's heavy. And an an unstoppable witness. Let me read something. They hated me without a cause. Verse 25 of chapter 15. Now verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will... They will 
Hold on, my Bible's... All right. They will put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do all these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you will remember that I told them to you. An unstoppable witness. Understand the beauty and the context here of how Jesus Christ is teaching us about the one we normally sleep on, the spirit. He's just told the disciples, I am leaving. And then he starts talking about the world is going to hate you. Then he starts saying the world is they hate you. But oh, Jack. they hate you by nature. The world is just like that. They don't like me and they won't like you. Now, one of the reasons why this is banging is because often today we see people who don't seem to like when Jesus Christ is too in the picture. Now, some of us don't even like that. And we're Christians, hopefully. Many Christians don't like when Jesus is in the picture. Jesus says, there's just a natural hostility against me that comes from the world. So I need somebody who can't be stopped in terms of talking about me and being faithful to me and witnessing about me just because there's hostility. See, hostility will make you be quiet about Jesus. Hostility will make you tuck him away. I'm a class case of this. I ran away from home at 13. I got to Virginia. I started preaching. They started laughing. I stopped preaching. I stopped preaching. I was scared. I tucked Jesus Christ away. He says here, but, verse 26, they hated me without a cause, but when the helper comes, whom I will send, he will bear witness about me. The, the Spirit's commitment to keep on bearing witness about Jesus comes at the tail end of what Mace titled, Pastor E titled, Hateology 101. The fact that hate is ugly. Hate is hostile. Hate is coming. In fact, he wanted to prepare you, as you're going to see, I've been absorbing the hate for you. But now that I'm leaving, it's your turn to share in it. But he says here, I write this so you won't fall away. Fall away in this context means that you won't renounce the faith or you won't veer off from saying something about me. Which lets you know that. But he didn't say because look, he says here, look at verse 20, uh, 26. When the helper comes, no, verse 27. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. He didn't say, now I'll write this so that y'all won't fall away. You are the spirit. The spirit's bear witness. You're bearing witness. But the world hates so hard, you never know what's going to happen to you or the spirit. He didn't say that. There's no question about the spirit. The spirit will witness. The spirit is unstoppable. The question is, will you be the means through which he witnesses or will he go to someone else? So the idea is the witness, the spirit is an unstoppable witness. Nothing stops him. He will always have a witness. He'll just bounce to somebody else who, in spite of the hostility that comes with being connected to Jesus Christ, continues to be a witness, doesn't fall away. It's so, like we, we've been trained as a culture to enjoy times of peace, no friction. Sometimes you watch the old war movies about what it took to accomplish a freedom. We now just chilling. 
And it seemed like they were always going through something. And you see it now. Like, I wouldn't want to live in the Middle East. I mean, almost every day a business is being blown up. You don't know where you want to go. Armies are in the streets. They're used to perpetual conflict. We don't know that. Both in our lives as Americans or as Christians. As Christians, we're used to knowing how to say everything, knowing what to do, telling the world they're all God's children. Somebody was telling me this morning that, uh, uh, you know, one of the icons of, you know, I'm saying the R&B world was on the radio this morning. And she was talking about her gospel album and, you know, how she's working with all these people that would be the world, people who don't know Jesus Christ. And she said, well, you know, sacred secularists, it's all the same. We're all saying the same message. We're, like we do that because we know if we say what God says to say. They're not going to like us. They're not going to play us. They're not going to be our friend. Jesus says, look at Jesus. This is last week, but if the world says, you're not better than me. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. The only way they won't hate you. The only way you can make the hostility against you die down is to distance yourself from me. You see an illustration of this with Abram and Sarah. Abram said, Sarah, they like you, but because I'm so close to you, since they want you, they won't want me. So tell them you're just my sister. That's a distancing. He was really the husband. So it's a distancing. Tell them I'm just your brother so that the beef that would come to me won't come to me. Now, God ended up working it out. But the idea here is, Lord Jesus, if they know we're together, the beef they've been giving you is going to come to me. Who we're talking about is Jesus's way to empower people who are called to be his witness. How are you going to help me to endure being laughed at, Lord Jesus? I want to witness about you. According to the first chapter, the preacher said, you always were. You're God who got dropped down in a mess. That's noble. I tried to tell people that like it was good news. They laughed at me. I haven't told anyone since. He says, when the helper comes, the advocate, the paraclete, he'll witness. You'll witness. But I'm writing this to... So that you won't fall away because some people will start. Get laughed at and stop. Some people will start not sell as much and change their message. Some people will start realize nobody's going to hire me like this in this field and then change their loyalty. All I'm saying is Jesus said, I'm writing this to let you know. I'm not going to be surprised when some of y'all don't make it. Not them, but he's speaking to the church at large, even though he is talking to them. And he's looking at you and I. Saying, I had to bring the helper, the paraclete, the spirit. Who can't be stopped in his witness and always is looking for a disciple to do it through. And so he's an unstoppable Witness. I like the story of John Wesley, who was so used to persecution coming with the territory that it had been three days since anybody harassed him about his connection to Christ. 
So he got off his horse and he started praying, oh, Lord, have I backslidden? Am I, have I sinned? Am I tripping? Did I do anything wrong? Am I shrinking back from you? And right as he was kneeling down and praying, a man across the street noticed him and said, oh, there's that Methodist preacher and threw a brick that almost hit him. And he got up off his knees and said, he got on his horse and said, yes, thank you, Lord. Now I can go on with my day. <laughs> like, <laughs> literally. Literally. A witness that is stoppable or unstoppable. The spirit is the unstoppable witness who comes alongside to Make sure that we don't fall away in our witness just because of the hostility. I, you know, I'm into the animal planet, National Geographic, planet Earth, all of that kind of stuff. So these couples that were raising wolves, right? They were raising wolf pups. So they had the wolf pups from, the, from a baby, and the wolf pups were just, oh, they would look cute, too. Even I was like, dang, that's sort of cute. You know what I mean? And so they were like, oh. And they were doing a little baby howl. And they were like, man, that's that first howl. And they were training them, but they were saying, we have to do this and then let them go. Because of the truth of the matter is, they're going to get to a point where they're going to want to eat us. Now, you would think they would just say, nah, just raise them right. Potty train them. Tell them no. Like, do what we do with dogs, other dogs. Like, it's a nature issue. And I don't care how much we work with the world, how nice we are with the world, how, I mean, what you do with your lyrics, what kind of, well, it's the way you said it. I don't care how you say it, how you slice it, the world's nature. This is what, look, there's some stuff that's called theology. Like, right, listen, theology, you can't, like, it is what it is. Like, you can't, like, ah, God, you tripping. I found a case where it wasn't exactly what you said. You won't be able to do that. God says the world will not like you. We know this, though. We just have decided I'm going to find a way to make them like me. I don't know. Don't worry. Don't worry. Leave it to me. I, I know, but God, I, the Lord said we ought to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we use all kinds of scripture to make this one mute. Jesus says, here's how you do it. I'm going to give you the helper, the paraclete. Verse 16, one says, I have said all these things. That's everything about him leaving in hatred and hostility. He says, look, to keep you from falling away. He says, they'll put you out of synagogues. Indeed, an hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. Now, imagine you at this, remember, you're in the room, like the little VIP room with Jesus at dinner, and he then went from, they're going to put you out of synagogue to, I mean, it's going to come a time when they kill you. They're going to think that, that like, he, he ain't run it like, because, I mean, you might even get killed. He ran it like it's a given, because there's going to come a time when they kill you, and, 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 and they're going to think they're doing me a favor, God a favor. I know they're looking at each other like, kill who? But Jesus didn't act like it might happen. He's letting you know. And for them, getting kicked out of the synagogue was everything that you, your life is surrounded by is going to be taken from you, which is why he's going to form the assembly of God, because once the world spits you out, you've got to have somebody to find what you used to get out in the world. 
Now, there are Christians who still don't like to find what they used to get in the world in Christian community. So what they do is they come up with something other than Christian community and either go without what they used to have and then mad at everybody, or they go and find it back in the world. Well, here he goes and he says, listen, you're not going to get away the hostility, so I'm writing this that you won't fall away. Because there's one who I'm going to send. He's the spirit of truth. He's the paraclete. He's the helper. He's the advocate. We'll talk about that a little more. He's an unstoppable witness. It's his power that we're going to have to depend on if we're going to remain faithful in a world that's not friendly to us. And they're only not friendly because they hated him first. Look what he says here in uh, verse 4. I said these things to you. Verse 4b. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. Like the whole thing is, I've been taking all the beef for you. And that's the thing. The Lord Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he didn't do for us. He's just that's why we call it the fellowship of his sufferings. The word fellowship, a synonym for it is sharing, sharing in his sufferings. And Paul, mature believers say this, I want to know him, I want to share in the power of his resurrection, everybody wants that part. I want to share in the fellowship or the sharing of his sufferings. That's the key right there. You know when you mature, when you look at both of them and say, Lord Jesus, I'm not shrinking back from rejoicing in you or suffering for you. He's an inexpendable resource. Verse 5 to 7. Look what he says in verse 5. Now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. couple things here just in, in case you read and you said this contradicts because just a couple in chapter 13 and 15, both Thomas and Peter said, where are you going and why can't we go with you? There's a couple things I, 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 like I don't even think that we have to haggle over them. There's only really two real good ops, um, um, uh, observations here or options. One is that this is not written in sequential order. And so by the time you read this, it's not happening sequentially uh, necessarily. This is two uh, two bodies of. Uh, what they call discourses, like what they would do is they would write the scenario out. Other people, because, you know, mad people were there. There were other writings that people used and fused into one linear storyline. But sometimes things are not in order. In the book of Mark, it has uh, the cursing of the fig tree. No, the, the, the observing the temple, the cursing of the fig tree, the judging of the temple, then revisiting the fig tree. It wasn't in order, but the way they put it in the story was just so you could understand both scenarios. Here's the same thing could be. Or when they were asking before. I don't like this one as much, even though all the people I like seem to take this one. They say, well, they were saying, where are you going? But they really weren't asking because they wanted to know. They were asking because they were sad. I think that that is possible because we do that. 
You know what I'm saying? Well, where are you going? And you're not even listening to where you're going. Then when you really hear, well, hold on, where are you going? I told you, I'm going to the, I think that's possible. But I think that from a hermeneutical standpoint, sometimes it's easy to just say stuff like that. Like, well, they really, because we, we don't have insight into the fact when they asked the first time, they really weren't asking. So, but either one is a possibility. But um, regardless, what we're seeing here is that Jesus is saying, how come you're not asking me the where I'm going, which is basically not just the place, the significance of where I'm going. Don't you want to know where I'm going? Which is basically, it's not the, just the place, it's the significance. Jesus, I, I want you to not just hear that I'm going, I want you to know why I'm going. And he says, but I wrote, I wrote, I'm writing all of this simply because the Spirit of God is going to come, be, and he must come, so I must get out the way. Now, this is the funny thing. Look here at the text. It says here, uh, nevertheless, verse 7, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. It doesn't say he cannot. Sometimes people say, see, Jesus Christ and the Spirit could not have basically been on each other's turf at the same time. But it doesn't say that he cannot come until I get out the way. It says he will not. Now, one of the things that you have to understand here is that Jesus Christ is first saying he is an inexpendable resource. Jesus deemed it not, like what we can't have is me staying on earth and you all doing ministry like you've been doing it huddled around me. First of all, I'm always calling you away from the crowds. I can't even take but so much. Second of all, I'm intimate with a few. All those other people don't have the insight that you've been having because all those other people don't have access to me. So the spirit of God is viewed as something that is inexpendable, like something that he could have not done it any other way than to give us all the ability to have that intimacy with Jesus like the 12 did. If Jesus would have remained, that wouldn't have been possible. And without a personal interaction with the Jesus, then none of us would be able to succeed in, in this Christian life. So he says, this isn't something that you can do. It's been said that if the spirit of the if spirit of God was moved, most of us would keep on moving like like business as usual. We wouldn't even notice a difference that the power source is gone. You ever sit around like with a whole bunch of whole bunch of remote controls and you're like pressing and you're like, dang, does any of these controls work? Like before they had the universals, you used to have like six of them. One was for the stereo, one was for the surround sound, one was for the, I mean, all the, and, but when none of them have batteries, you're looking around like, does one of them have power though? And that's how it would have been. A whole bunch of people who talk about Jesus, know about Jesus, but only a few with power. Jesus says, well, we can't have that. We have to change the scenario. The spirit of God is so crucial to doing what I what we're doing in full. We're going to get into the fact that there is a fullness to God's plan. We get happy like we get happy. We get rocked off of the God of the Old Testament. But the God of the Old Testament sent Jesus Christ, who was going to be God in the New Testament, not that they stopped. It's just that the focus shifts from the God who's just God to the God who's son. Jesus says, well, wait, now you're getting excited. and Y'all want to stop at son. There's somebody else who for you to see the breath of what we have. We're going to blow your mind because one's coming who's just like me. And I'm just like him, the father. You've seen the father. You've seen me. You've seen me. You've seen the one that's coming. And that is the spirit. 
And the disciples don't want to hear, let's keep going. The disciples are like, nah, you're good enough. Jesus says, I'm sufficient, but not based on the plan. The plan is not that 12 of y'all, now 11 of y'all, just huddle around me. The plan is for me to go global with this thing. And in order for that to happen, the spirit has to come. Well, no, just just you stay with us and then just let our teachings float around to everybody else. No, everybody has to have me operating in them, not just with them. And so here we are, the inexpendable resource. Instead of King Saul, God departed from him, but he stayed on the throne. Instead of Samson, God had left him, but he was just walking around like he still was cock diesel. David, on the other hand, understanding that all his success, the moment he sinned, he prayed, Lord, don't take your spirit from me. There's somebody who knows I'm still the same old David. I still can fight. I still can rule. I still can write psalms. But without the spirit, I'm not what I used to be. We've got to get like that. I'm cute. My eyes are light. My hair's wavy. I studied. I graduated Ivy League. I'm, I graduated with honors. I'm swift on the mic. I'm there. But without the spirit of God, we got to feel that. we got to sense that. We say it. But what's the indication that we know it's not just cosmetic? It's not just I know the same stuff. Jesus didn't run it like it's okay for me to stay because we just have to spread our literature. He says, I must be in you. And the only way for that to happen is for me to back up. Now, not because he couldn't do both, but again, it's part of the redemptive plan. Father in in the Old Testament or Hebrew scriptures, you see the father and you really don't see the son showing up as a dominant person of the Godhead. In the Gospels, we see the son. When Jesus goes, he says, I'm going to send you the spirit. And now you see the, the, the spirit of God. He's inexpendable as a resource. And this is how redemptive history shows itself out. Several verses in the Old Testament. Joel 22. You may have you recognize this from people who, you know, uh, explain the tongues phenomenon because Peter said, hey, when people started speaking in tongues, this is what was promised that one day God was going to do something called pour his spirit out. This is another like this was predicted. In other words, the full plan. That's what I was saying. You get excited just because you like the part you're enjoying. But God is not interested in just giving you the part you like. God is unfolding a whole game plan. Part of the game plan is the day when I pour my spirit out. Joel 28, I pour my spirit out on all flesh and dreams and visions will take place. And Isaiah 32, same thing. Zechariah 12, 10, when my spirit comes, people are going to be sorry that they pierced me. It, you, we, God said, I got to send the spirit just to, to, to be able to awaken people to how bad they treat me. Ezekiel 39, I will have poured out my spirit. And that's why like all, God is basically saying some stuff just won't happen till the spirit comes. I like the, the most classic one, the one about the new covenant in Ezekiel 36. It says, moreover, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. 
says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. This was basically God's way of saying, like, y'all keep falling off. There's going to come a time when I'm going to give you an internal power source. Now, if you go back before cell phones, we were confined as long as that string, that, that little cord. So you'll be trying to get a pen and you'll be holding it and you'll be trying to get a pen. And then they came up with the cordless to give you some mobility. It's the same thing. And then cell phones eventually giving you more mobility. It's this ability to have the power that was used to be confined so that it's not confined anymore. That's what the spirit is. I'm going to pour out my spirit so that it will just be an age of people who have mobility with the very power and presence of Jesus Christ. You got to understand that we take it for granted because we've always had it. But there was a time when people like David said, please, we know this isn't just a given. And Jesus is now referring to hey, y'all. There's a story uh, about the, the, what we call the account of Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus transfigured, the Bible says that Peter and the three, James and John, said, hey, this is great because they saw Moses and Elijah and Jesus. They said, this is great. Let's build t uh, tabernacles. And let's, for all three of y'all, basically what they were saying is, let's park. Now you can bring in the kingdom. Like, Jesus, I like it. Freeze the frame right here. Jesus said, basically, God covered, uh, took Elijah and Moses away. Left Jesus because Jesus says, don't you know that the cross is also a part of the plan? That's what we do. We like a portion of what God's doing and we will park. And God says, don't park. Want to come with me and see the fullness of what I'm doing. That's the only thing that would make a person say, I'm uh, like, we don't need anything else. Jesus, Jesus says, yes, you do. And he won't come until I back off the scene. It's his time. This will be an age where which the, the, the Old Testament said is the pouring out of the spirit. So he's the end. Uh, he's he's this. Uh, excuse me. This indispensable or inexpendable, which just means you can't do without him. Some people would want to do without him. That's why they link up with different people and they think it's just a matter of the right lyrics. But we're saying, nah. We want to know, does the spirit of God, is the spirit in this person? I know that anybody can write a gospel song. I know that anybody can preach a sermon. The question is, is the thing that Jesus says you can't not have for it to have any kind of real weight to it. And in our own lives, we can have the spirit in us, but not be under his influence. He produces irrefutable conviction. We're getting to know him. Not only does he uh, have this unstoppable witness, which is where we get our ability to keep witnessing in spite of uh, hostility. Not only is he an inexpendable resource, which is why, Lord, if I don't have the spirit of God or if I'm not leaning on the spirit of God or unless the spirit of God is the power source by which I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm just doing stuff. Now he has this ability to irrefutably convict Look at this. He says here in verse eight. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. 
And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin concerning sin, righteousness and judgment. Before we go on, Jesus is letting them know all this is based on the fact I've called you to witness. Keep plowing forward. The question is, in a world that's hostile, how are we going to succeed? If you tell me by nature they're hostile and we can't train them to do anything better, just like the wolf, eventually the wolf is going to be the wolf. Then the world is going to be the world. So how do you expect us to go out there and witness? He says, ah, when the helper comes. Because when the helper comes, he's going to convict the world according to uh, about three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. But I don't understand. First of all, the word convict there can mean expose. He's going to expose them to the fact to sin, righteousness, and judgment. We'll explain those. Or secondly, it could mean convince them. Like, oh, I know what you're going to do. You're going to convince them. Could mean that. The other one means to prove guilty. I'm going to show them that they're wrong about these things. And the you look at most of your translations, it's all kinds of those things. And the problem is there's so much depth to the word that John probably had a little bit of all that included when he said when the, when the spirit comes, when the paraclete comes, he's going to confront the world with three things, three issues. And let's explain them. He says here first about sin. And then he goes on verse nine. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. The ultimate sin is to not believe in Jesus Christ. The ultimate sin is not murder. The ultimate sin is not homosexuality. The ultimate sin. The ultimate sin is to reject Jesus Christ. In the Bible, whether you ignore Jesus or whether you say, I don't want you, it's the same thing. It's a lack of belief in him. And he says, I'm going to show the world that they were wrong in rejecting me. This is the problem. The world would like to believe we like Jesus. We just aren't trying to do the stuff that he says. We think there's another way. The spirit comes to say you're wrong. And I'm going to make an objective. I'm going to make it objectively clear that the world is wrong about their belief about Jesus. Now, whether they come around to say, Dag, I admit it, I'm wrong. We don't know that for sure. What we do know is that the world and we're going to see how he makes the objective you're wrong about Jesus as you look at righteousness and judgment. But, the, but, but anybody that does come to Christ actually is convinced by the Spirit. So the idea here is this is not a blanket. Everybody's going to recognize it and acknowledge it. This is some people he convinces that they were wrong to reject Jesus and they end up putting faith in him. Other people... They just will see that they're wrong. He will expose to them their wrongness about their belief in Jesus Christ. This is the beautiful thing about John 3.18. It says, he that believes is not condemned. He that does not believe is condemned already. Hebrews 12. A lot of people use this. Lay aside every weight that besets and the sin. A lot of people would like to say, yeah, because what sin is entangling you? What sin? Like, that's not what it says. It says lay, up, lay, lay aside the stuff that entangles you and the sin singular. What sin is that? 
The whole chapter 11 before it is about belief. And the whole book is about people who are wavering in that belief. He says, lay aside the stuff that's tripping you up, which is the things that we tend to lean on other than Christ, and the sin, singular, the sin of unbelief that's always causing people to stumble. The word fall away is the same word that means to stumble. He says, lay aside this disbelief because you can't recover from disbelief. If you die in disbelief, the Bible says that the next thing will come up where he says concerning belief, sin, because they don't believe in me. That's the, the ultimate sin. But then he says but concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. The only reason, how, the only way they got Jesus Christ on the cross was by condemning him as unrighteous. The Spirit says, when I raise him from the dead, you're going to see that he's not unrighteous. And you're going to see when I raise him from the dead, the word righteousness in the Greek, dikaiosune, right? The word righteousness can also mean vindicate. Like, I'm justified or I'm vindicated. Like, you told me I stole it, but then you found the real dude. Now I'm vindicated. Well, the Bible says the way that Jesus Christ was vindicated was through resurrection. Because if he was, the only people, reason why people die is because they sin. And so if he raised, if God raised them up, that's because God didn't have no beef with him. That's just like Daniel. The Bible says that when Daniel went down into the lion's den, the king was, Daniel, I hope your God can save you. When he went and saw that he hadn't died, he said, now I know that you didn't do anything wrong. Your God was able to save you. He was vindicated. Same thing. Death would have eaten Jesus up if he wasn't really righteous. But because now when when they took the Daniel, the cats that framed Daniel, then they brought them in and said, wait a minute. The problem wasn't Daniel. The problem was you threw them into the lion's den. It says before they reached the ground, the lions overpowered them, crushed their bones, proving. See, it wasn't that we wasn't hungry. The lions ain't like we. It's not that we wasn't hungry. Like Daniel came, we were like, oh, look, he ain't got enough meat on his bones. Nah, he's like, yo, God stayed us because he didn't do anything wrong. To show you who the real culprits were, we devoured the. Says now, you see, every all of us when we die because we're unrighteous. Guess what? Boom, we stay there till Christ raises us up. That's because we rightfully deserve to die. Spirit said, not only will I internally convince people that Jesus Christ is righteous, I will objectively show people Jesus Christ is righteous through the resurrection. And I will blaze on people's minds that the same. Now, because he's righteous, all those who rooted him on and all those who said, yeah, crucify him. I will expose that all those who are hostile to him, all those who don't dig him and believe that he is who he said he is. I will show them you're really unrighteous. So the work of the spirit comes upon us in this world. And through the witness of the apostles who wrote the New Testament and gave us a, the spirit, preserved their writings so that we learn of this Jesus. So the spirit did it by giving us an accurate document that we could trust. He preserved it from error in the doctrine of inspiration 
so that we have an accurate copy. That's his way of saying, I got to make sure that they know Jesus wasn't tripping. So I'm going to preserve not only a, a, a documentation of his perfect life, I'm going to preserve like even the copies so that the copies don't throw people off. He also moves on each of us. Now, if you have a problem with Jesus, your heart to the spirit of God and eventually you like the world will see at your deathbed. Well, we may not know, but God will know whether or not you died still wrong about Jesus and his righteousness, because to not believe on him and his righteousness is to basically say, I've got my own righteousness. And that's why he says the next thing is coming concerning judgment. Listen, verse 11. Concerning judgment. Because. I go to the um, excuse me, uh, because the the man, where am I? Oh, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Follow me, y'all. I'm closing. The spirit of God, Jesus says, is a must for anyone who will continue to witness in a world like this, a world that doesn't like Jesus. He's someone that even Jesus said, let me get out the way so that his age can come. The age where God the Father unleashes him in global fashion in the way I was in local fashion. Follow me. When he comes, he's going to, now again, he's going to do a, a few layers of proving the world wrong and showcasing how Jesus was right. He's going to raise him from the dead to prove he's right. He's going to move throughout the earth and convince people internally about those truths. Reject that. You, you want your own righteousness. Next comes judgment. And he says, because the ruler of this world has been judged. And the idea here is. The fact that he's dealing with the ruler, all who side with him, go with him. This is the kind of stuff that won't. Excite a church. But it excited the person who's committed to witness, because other than that, you think it's a losing cause to go out here. But if you know that there is one who powerfully moves, unstoppably moves to convince people of these things, what it does is give you the hope that just I just might run into somebody that the spirit overtakes and convinces them of the, their need to believe in Jesus. The only reason why you believe in Jesus is because he's the righteous one is vindicated by his, his resurrection and there's a judgment to come. I'm going to scoot to these last two and we're going to close. He guides an inexhaustible truth. 12 to 13 says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Basically, what he's also saying about this spirit is he guides in a truth that you can't exhaust. He says, right now, you've been with me three years. I've given you all that you need, and yet you don't understand it all, and you don't understand the impact of it all. But when the helper comes, he's going to spend the rest of your life and through eternity helping us to explore the depth of the truth that is in Jesus Christ.
He called it all truth. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, no one knows the, the, the spirit of God except God's spirit, right? No one knows God, the depths of God except God's spirit. He searches the depths of God. Jesus Christ is God who says, I am truth. Jesus says, when the spirit comes, he will guide you throughout this big cavern called truth, and it will, you'll never exhaust me. He says, other than that, now, y'all saw, I don't know if y'all saw Descent, this movie called Descent. But there was one cave explorer who just liked the thrill of exploring caves. And this time she says, let's just find some new stuff we don't know. And she threw the book away, like the, the map that helped you in the cave, to help guide you through the cave. And that's why she died. <laughs> Same thing. Inexhaustible truth. I like the way one guy put it. He will show you the whole Christian way. So many times Jesus basically had to tell people, you are slow to understand all that the prophets wrote. For you to understand the bangingness of Jesus Christ. For some people, oh yeah, I know. Put your hand in the hand of the man who stole the water. And that's about it. And he was born at Christmas. And he raised on Easter. Jesus said, no, no, no. He will guide you into... Like the impact of all things concerning me, which is all truth. Lastly, he exalts Christ. Listen, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He limits his stage time to just magnify what Je- who Jesus is and what he said. You ever like wish you could like get your word into? Like right now, you know, if you was like, yo man, I want to sing background for you. Alright, bet. And you like get tired of singing my songs and just doing the ad lib part. You like, heck, I wrote a song last night. So we're live in concert and you just break out like, excuse me y'all, I wrote a song last night. <laughs> I'm just saying, wait, hold on, let me do my song. Can I do my song? I'm always singing. And you get mad. Like, you're stepping. That, but that's your role. And so the Holy Spirit, in this marvelous humility that only God can do, says, I will limit what I talk about to just singing his songs, singing his praise. The reason why I'm telling you this is because when the spirit is at work, you don't have a problem letting Jesus Christ bogart your stage time. We're talking about who he is and what he does. This is his role. He says he will glorify me. He'll take what's mine and declare it to you. He says all that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he, the spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you, the Son. Beautiful triune passage here. And so what am I saying? The Spirit of God, one of the most slept-on realities in our lives, was predicted to come by Jesus Christ to people who were going to have to exist in a world where they were going to catch beef for their connection to Jesus Christ. There was a real threat of them falling away. I write these things so that you may not fall away. 
Right now, you cannot listen to any of this, think this is, this is mystical stuff. I'm just going to go out here and do the right thing. Like, I don't need what, like, what he's saying. That, that sounds too mystical. Just do what's right. And what, this, what Jesus was, in, what, was making sure cats didn't sleep on is you won't do what's right. You will fall away because the, the hostility is too much. The enemy, the one who doesn't want you to faithfully witness, is always lurking, looking for someone to devour. The world you're in. So there's the devil. Then there's just the world that comes up, spends money to make sin attractive. Mutes Jesus Christ out every chance that it gets. And then universally starts to agree. From country to country. And he says, the spirit banks on Christ focus as the thing that's going to get people who he calls the world. And so by application, we need to study the spirit of God through the scriptures. We need to acknowledge him. We need to know how to say. And, you know, like and I don't mean like some people say, you know, the spirit of the Lord spoke to me. And it's always like like something that makes you look good, too. You know what I'm saying? Because it doesn't sound good if the Spirit of the Lord spoke to you. Like, you know, you know and I, I like what the Spirit of the Lord says through the Scriptures. Like, that just puts you on common playing field. Nobody likes to say that. We like to have that personal, like, connection. Um, but depending on Him, you had to depend on the Spirit because He's the one that gives me the, the strength to overcome my fear when I'm out there with Ty on Saturdays. Uh, imitate Him. He's humble. Uh, the, the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Well, we also could take a lesson from the humility of the spirit of God who doesn't just blaze his own glory, but keeps pointing back to the son. Listen to him. He will guide you in all truth. That is to declare to you the things I say. The spirit uses means like so it's not just a still small whisper minus anything. The spirit uses means. But the idea is let the spirit of God use what the book that he hedged in and 